0: what's going on the podcast according to sources i am your guy sean davis at sd2mikes you can follow me on twitter and instagram follow according to sources at a2spod1 on twitter and instagram of course the best three-man weave in podcast land and i have my guys on the wing to the left c4 dunk chris casen and to the right brian crawford at B underscore 4 D, Chris Kaysen at C4Dunk. Special guest, not even a guest, just say family. This is just yeah. family, man. Our guy, we all look up to him. He's paved the way for all of us to be in this business and to do and love what we do. None other than Scoop Jackson is joining us today on the podcast according to
1: sources. What's going on, big bro? Nothing, man, trying to maintain. How's everybody doing? Y'all are good, thanks for having me on the whole nine ah uh, man look before it's, we gonna, it's gonna be back together <laughs>
0: <It> <laughs> almost. Is.
1: Absolutely. almost 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 brian, get... no, brian, brian no, the only thing missing is the cocktails right that's <laughs> it that's it i'll be
0: right there where you was at
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. hey scoop how you feeling about your white socks man before we get into it
1: um good and bad um they um they were streaky you know, I, I like the way they played in in the two games that they lasted. So they did show some fight. You know, you saw how young they really were, but you know they started off the season bad, got extremely hot, which I thought was going to be their norm, and then that last you know ten games, man, they just that that dive they took at the end of the regular season, you know, games fifty through sixty, I'm like, okay, you know what's, you know what are they, you know, because it was totally polar opposite of what they had done. Going up today. I just thought they may have gotten a bad start to open up the season, but then the end of the season showed me that they have capabilities basically just being streaky. So um I just really going into the postseason like the with a wild card series. I like the fight that they showed and that you know they could stay in games and that the offense still had, you know, some significant it just you know, it was promising. I like the fact that they made it and I like the fact that the two games they were in, they fought. So I'm I'm cool with what I saw. As
0: always in the podcast, according to sources, we start out with our opening layups. So I'm going to go ahead and look to the right, though there's no look, bounce past the C4. What's on your mind? Uh, well,
2: basically, I'm tired of the media picking on Kyrie. You know, we, we have to stop misinterpreting, you know, what this guy's saying. saying. Uh, no, but uh, <laughs> if I had an opening layup, um, I don't know. I really don't have one. You know, um, looking at the finals, you know, I'm just hoping Miami can find some way, to like muster out one game, I really don't want, you know, it's not really even an extended layoff until next season begins, but I just don't want it to be that easy, as easy as this look.
0: All right, behind the back to BC, what's your opening layup, my brother?
3: Man, I don't really have one either, other than, you know, I'm just,
0: like I said on Twitter the other day, man, I'm praying
3: for Doc Rivers, man. He has <laughs> to go to Philly, I had to deal with Ben Simmons and Joel B. And you know coming off of Kawhi and paul George, so man i'm just
2: gonna pray for doc hope everything works out man. hey you got five years
0: and a couple couple million hey man real talk this might be doc's last time at a big contract as a coach in the nba so five years is definitely uh he should have some leverage and power with a five-year contract and i hope so i'm
3: just glad he's even you know he wasn't um unemployed longer than like 72 hours or something like so he yeah. went from LA to Philly, so you know he landed right back on his feet. So I'm good for him. But y'all know how I feel about Ben Simmons and Joel and B. So we'll see if he
1: can turn it around, man. they definitely, definitely about to have the blackest organization in the NBA with <laughs> Elton Brand there, Doc there, Joel, Ben, you know, how they rolling down the line. So I'm surprised he took it though. I thought he was gonna take a, about a year off. I said, Except yeah with the big free agency coming up next year and all these moving parts, I thought he was just going, I'm gonna chill and wait to see who land where and take whatever spots gonna be open then." But, you know, knowing Doc and knowing Elton, you know, they played their black card. Like, seriously, like, yeah. come on down and make this happen.
0: Yeah.
1: And they just gave the Bulls Mark
0: Eversley. So they lost one of their black guys to Chicago.
1: Perfect. Yeah, no, nah, they did. They did, but you know, I mean, we we hey, we can't got to be all black in the same situation all the time. You know, we can spread it out a little bit. I right. I just like the way we're building. And if they really, I don't think they're gonna be able to do it now. You know, with Doc going there, but if he finds a way to get like Dawn Staley on his staff, mm. man, mm. yeah, you might see some problems. With that 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 next collective bargaining agreement may not be about the players if they do. One hundred percent. That's one hundred. Yeah. Yo, let's get into the NBA Finals,
0: man. For the first time, LeBron James has a 2-0 lead in the NBA Finals. The Los Angeles Lakers are 20-1 and one when Anthony Davis and LeBron James combined for 60 points. Another thing that was a shock that I had a chance to talk to C4 about before we came on air, I was shocked to see that in the NBA playoffs, down in the bubble, the Los Angeles Lakers are actually shooting two percentage points higher from three-point land than the Miami Heat. I was shocked by that. We gave our predictions on the live, live, last podcast and we talked about LeBron James, Rajon Rondo, and uh, Anthony Davis getting to the middle of that zone and pretty much tearing it up. And that's what we've been seeing along with the injuries to Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo. Is there anything C4 that Miami can do? Eric Spoelstra is probably pulling the hair that he has out trying to figure out a way but physically, I just don't see anything that Miami might be able to do to turn the tide of this series. uh pray uh,
2: <laughs> you know, and i I don't think my sponsor is not the type of guy to go away from his philosophy, so that he's basically just going to preach whatever they do, just do it ten times as harder. They essentially have to play perfect basketball like quarters one through four. They can't have any let up at all. I mean they have to play collective on the defensive end, and they also have to, you know, give more looks from the three-point 3, uh, three point land. But it's so difficult when you're literally giving, you're giving almost up two points each time down the floor because you have no answer for, like, Anthony Davis at all. I mean, LeBron is, you have two of the smartest players on the same team also. So it's just a tall task. It's not really too much they can do. They were all, already kind of, Outmatched coming into this series and now being down two of the best players is just way more difficult now. Scoop BC,
0: anything they can do?
3: Man, I don't, um, I don't think there's a lot they can do. I think you know all of that momentum went out the window. Obviously, we, we got hurt, and Bam we got hurt, um, yeah. and then Jimmy obviously twisted his ankle in that game one. But you know, being down, like Chris said, being down two of your best three players, it's not really a whole lot that you can do. You no, know, they showed a lot of fight last night. Um, you know, I thought it was good for them to only be down 10, you know, without them and, uh, you know, Dragic, So, you know, they kind of stayed in it. But, like, like you said, man, like Anthony Davis is playing on another level. And LeBron, like you said, the last, you know, podcast, he pretty much on cruise control. Like, he don't really have to do too much, you know, just, you know, just do what he does. So, I don't really think there's anything to do. If there was a chance for them to get a game, it was probably
0: last night, man, they'd probably get swept now. It's amazing. We talked about this on the last podcast as well. We asked the question, is Anthony Davis the best fit as a teammate that LeBron has ever had? Going back to, of course, Dwayne Wade and Kyrie Irving. And Dwayne Wade tweeted that in the middle of the game last night. He said it, like, A.D. is the best fit that's ever been next to LeBron James as a teammate. So,
1: moving I, on from that. I think he's the best fit at this point in LeBron's career. Okay. You know, let's get it. LeBron is not the same player that he was when he was playing with Dwayne Wade. And I don't know if Anthony Davis, even if he was playing with LeBron, the way LeBron was playing back then would have been the best fit. At this point in time, you know, with LeBron going through what he's been through at this age that he is and the way he, he 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 plays basketball from his mind first instead of his body first, mm-hmm. AD is the perfect player for him right now. I, I So, you know, I hear what Dwayne Wade is saying, but collectively – if you were giving him Anthony Davis back then in Miami, nah, I still think Dwayne Wade in my mind, you know, uh, and, and that's Dwyane Wade. We know during LeBron's long time there, Dwayne wasn't 100% healthy. Right, right. If, if, if LeBron had gotten Dwayne 100% healthy throughout that ride, we wouldn't even be, Anthony's nice, but we wouldn't be having this conversation at all.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: And true. let me let me throw something else out there really just to, to piggyback on uh thing about Miami having a chance. Uh, I think it's unfortunate, but if you look at the history, the recent history of the finals, there's always been some type of injury that has played a role. Always. In the last at least five, six years, some major injury has played a role in who's crowned champion. Uh, but I believe this, and maybe it's because we're working on a story on this, um, Is it's not just Rondo, it's not just LeBron, it's not just AD. You know, the other player that Miami is fighting against that's on that Lakers squad is the one that's unseen and that's kobe bryant mm-hmm. kobe's entire presence not just in the shoes and the uniform it's the incentive that they're playing for to win something from him that miami cannot match so i don't care if born and bam were healthy that extra incentive that they're dealing with with Kobe's spirit You know, of them talking about him all the time, of them having prayer circles with him included in it, of them wearing his uniform, of their every, after every game, you know, one, two, three, mom, all that, all that stuff, that extra incentive, there's nothing Miami has to match that. Nothing. You know, and when you have a spirit that that's big, that no other team can lean on that. You know, we can all lean on Kobe was our guy and said, the other, we miss him but that Lakers organization, that Lakers and this right now, with them being so close to winning the championship and having that rally crowd within them saying, we're doing this for Kobe, there's nothing. I don't care who the hell, you know what I'm saying? Who the hell is playing for Miami? There's nothing that they can do to match that. That's that fourth player that's yeah. in that lineup that Miami has no answer for.
0: Yeah, you're right. And uh, when you think about that, I guess what we're looking at even before the injuries you know, Miami was looking at almost an insurmountable challenge trying to overcome the Lakers in this NBA Finals. BC, you talked about it. LeBron at this point in time, man, is just coasting. Like him putting up numbers is nothing. He feels Mm -hmm. the stat sheet all the time. What we're seeing, what's different? Because Anthony Davis is coming to the NBA playoffs. He averaged 30 and 12 in the playoff games that he played previously before he played playoff games with the Lakers. When you say he's gone to the next level, all you guys, what is it? Is it his mindset? Is it just being able to play next to LeBron? Or do you just think the force he's playing with is a little bit different than he played with in the playoffs when he's with the Pelicans?
3: I think it's all of it. You know, yeah. um, you know, like Scooby said, you know, obviously, you know, you got that Kobe thing, like I was, you know, I've told this story before, like when Anthony Davis was in high school he was all about LeBron James. He didn't even like Kobe Bryant. Then, you know, he got a chance to play with him, you know, at the Olympics and then obviously, you know, they kind of developed a relationship over the years. Then he ends up in LA, you know, and now he, you know, he all about Kobe wearing the shoes and everything else. Um, You know, I think, I think AD just understands and realize like this is his moment. You know, this is his time to finally say, you know what, you know, I'm a champion and I can be a pivotal part of a championship team. And, you know, obviously, you know, you see in the finals MVP debate, you know, about that. And, you know, I just I just think he's he understands the moment. he's sees it and he's taking over. And, you know, and I think this is what we're seeing right now is like the arrival of Anthony Davis. Like we've seen it, you know, kind of building up to this. But, you know, now you at the championship level and he's pretty much unstoppable. So, you know, I think it's a combination of all of that. And, you know, I'm just glad, you know, just to be, you know, just to see a Chicago guy in that position, you know, and not just in a position to win the championship, but in a position to, like, make a big difference in that team winning championship.
1: I think it's also him playing for a purpose. Yep. You know, if you look at the fact of what he's been through, you know, the last time he's really played for anything significant or for a purpose was when he went to Kentucky. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and and now we're seeing him getting to the stage where he's a veteran in the league, he understands the league. You know, and now, you know, that, that, that purpose a lot of times and a lot of players brings out something that they never had in them before because they never had to play for that. You know, I thought that was going to be the case if the Clippers wanted because you look at a player like Lou Williams, you know, he's never had to play for anything before. You know, and you thought, all right, now you got something on the table you can play for. Paul George, now you got something on the table you can play for. So, you know, there are players in the league who have had a long history and never gotten to this stage, and that purpose brings itself out of them. Now, in AD's case, not only is it the purpose, but this has to be the easiest the game has felt for him in his entire career because he's playing alongside LeBron, and he has Rondo on the court with him. You know, he has two cats that are basically not just facilitators, but are looking to him first to make their game easy. Now, Rondo makes it easy because of their connection in New Orleans. So they already have a connection coming in. That's Mm -hmm. due but LeBron makes it easy because it's LeBron. And no team, I don't care how much you want to coach them, is going to unbrainwash themselves and not pay attention to LeBron and pay attention to AD. When you see LeBron on the court and you've done it for so long, you automatically throw all your defensive strategies out the window and pay attention to him when or when he has the ball on his hands, when he doesn't. Eric Foster could be like, look, damn LeBron, let LeBron beat us. We have to pay attention to Anthony Davis. That's all fine in practice. That's all fine in huddles. But when you get out there in that court, Mm -hmm. you've already been trained. That's LeBron James. Your mind automatically goes to paying attention to him. And Anthony Davis is like, damn, I'm getting single coverages. You know, I'm getting double teams used to be easy for me because I was used to seeing triple teams and schemes and everything (laughs) now because I'm playing with LeBron I don't have four people in front of me, you know mm-hmm. what I'm yeah. You add purpose to that, and this is what you get. It's very similar to what KD saw when he went to Golden State. You're playing with Russ, but that's one thing. But when you get on that Golden State squad, and you got Steph, and you got Clay, and defenses, regardless of what they try to do, like, man, these cats have been killing us for years. We got to protect mm-hmm. that. KD's like, damn, this is almost unfair. Or, or the word what, what is the word we saw? Illegal. Yeah, because illegal. it's, yeah, it's illegal. illegal. And it's the same thing with AD right now. It's almost illegal for him to be in this space right now to have to play around play with LeBron James because of how the game has opened up to him in a way he's never seen it before, ever.
0: You think they they iced him out in the fourth quarter, man. A.B. should have ended up with about 45 last night, man. Yeah, but he
1: didn't have to. You yeah. know, I, I, I think if yeah. the game got tight, really tight, and they really felt it was in jeopardy, he would have done that. Yeah. But he, but he sat out for a little while. LeBron started doing LeBron things a little bit. You know, and he, you know, look, if y'all need me to score, I can't score. I'm with you. I scored 30 in three quarters. I'm good, you know. But, it look, if they had really felt that they were threatening to lose that game, he would have just beasted down on the blocks he would have just bodied a couple of people and then you know come out. he would have come out with 40 at most but you know it wasn't necessary you know it wasn't necessary. and to be honest with you they don't have any beef with miami so right. they want to beat them but they're not trying to embarrass them like that you know what i'm saying yeah. y'all are y'all all play ball y'all know what that's about yeah yeah y'all know it like look man as long as we win the game we good we, we ain't we're not trying to send any messages we're not trying to make it hard on these cats. They're already man down, you know, two men down. So we're not, we're not rubbing in like that. We're not going to have AD go for 50 just to embarrass them like that. Right. Yeah. So we're going to have- Especially in a bubble, you know. That's what I was going to say. Like everybody right. ready to get home, they ready to get out that bubble, man. Like, Right. everybody right. is like over it just about, you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, you don't want to roll You know, you don't want to roll it. Cause you can't leave anybody right now. And you don't want to go face to face with somebody. Cause you don't know what they're going right. to come with. You know, exactly. it's bad enough. It's bad enough you already beat Miami. They two men down. You know, then you have AD, you know, personally trying to get 50 in the finals game. Right. What happens when you see him just walking across? You know, you're gonna see him because you can't leave each other. And you know, hey, hey, right. hey, you, you, that there could be lumps coming up, you know what I'm saying? Right, <laughs> y'all all and, on the same, right? Y'all all, all on the same seriously floor. injured, right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm you, don't right. Want that. you know. And so, bam, bam bam got the african blood man you know them African africans we don't play right we don't play that man we warriors we warriors so hey all that's not you want 50 i right, he go 50 to the head son yeah. <laughs> y'all know yeah.
0: man the effort shown by jimmy butler coming off of that twisted ankle in game one last night man he tried to put that heat team on his back uh, almost end up with a triple double, career high in assists, and literally gave that team everything he had and every which way he could give it to keep them close in that game and give them a chance to win. You know, last podcast scoop we talked about the Chicago Bulls and looking back and do they have regrets and could they have built around Jimmy the same way Miami's built around Jimmy? And you Y'all know, you
1: down on podcast talking about that. Yeah, because you
0: know my contention. It was a big topic, and my contention was you can't compare the, the Miami organization to the Bulls organization. That's just the way I look
1: at it. That's true. All right, that okay. Is, that's a I, really, I, I, I'm just like, I don't know why y'all waste your time talking about the Bulls <laughs> anyway, any kind of
0: <laughs> Man, let's go ahead and hop in. C4, you mentioned this briefly and hinted it up. Uh, Kevin Durant, the E-T-T- ETC podcast, he launched it, and his first guest was his teammate Kyrie Irving. And this is what had social media all in the uproar yesterday.
3: I don't see it as, that, as anything other than that, like one, three, pick and roll, or it's an ISO for either one of us, or it's something great for our, our team. I'm, one thing I'm, I've always been comfortable with is, you know, I felt like I was the best option on every team I played for, you know, down the stretch. This is the first time in my career where I could look down and be like, that make that shot
0: too. Kyrie Irving, of course, people took what he said and and thought he was trying to go at LeBron James. C4, you said people were taking it out of context. What did you read from the comments of Kyrie Irving?
2: I just basically meant, I mean, when you think about shot makers, we still really don't think of LeBron as like a shot maker, especially when you get – he he's made shots at the end, but we don't necessarily feel he's the guy that like they're going to. You look you you look at you know the Western Conference finals, who did they go to at the end? Anthony Davis. I mean, LeBron probably would have been like the second option if yeah. he played, but I mean, I I, I looked at it as debt. Like, and Kyrie feels like he's the guy when they were teammates that the ball was going to him because his ability to create shots. Like LeBron is good at facilitating, getting guys, you know, shots at the end of the game. He's not necessarily the one who's wanted to take those shots. So I looked at it in terms of that standpoint. And we look at KD, he's another guy who's a shot maker. So I didn't look at it as any type of disrespect to LeBron. But, of course, when you say, like, I think what the exact quote was, like, on any team I've been at, that includes LeBron. That includes, like, a Jason Tatum. So you can look at it in that way. But. Great great views for the first uh podcast, by the oh, way. Now you got everybody that can sub quote that everything. So
1: it did its job. I'm personally mad at it, but not, not for what Chris said. Because you know, if, if we're really honest about it, Kyrie didn't say anything that like LeBron probably didn't tell him. Yep. You know, LeBron probably like, man, it's on you. You know, every every for the for the time they spent together, LeBron yeah. probably stressed that to him. Like these in the game, it's on you, it's your game at the end. I'll take us there, you finish, you close. So th- there's no disrespect there, you know, um, but that's where we live as media. But I'm mad at KD, cause he he lied to me. <laughs> how you that, the, the first podcast was supposed to be Russ Bankston and I talking about Slam Magazine.
3: Oh. And- oh. Yeah.
1: Russ and I was, to supposed- they told us, well, you're the first guest we wanted to have y'all on the podcast talking about how important Slam Magazine was to the culture. Man, they like it's an honor for you all to come on and be our guest to launch this podcast. Russ and I like cool. Let's do it. Now them fools bumped us for Kyrie Irving, and now they got good views. And I'm mad because the shit worked. (laughs) 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 It's actually a smart move. I'm like, dang. Well, they
3: probably get y'all on the second episode.
1: Oh, it's it's, this. I mean, we are. We recorded it. We probably got oh, recorded 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 with Kyrie. Okay. okay. And then they're like, you know what? We're gonna need some numbers. This ain't the smartest thing. <laughs> Man, give us a give us
0: a little tidbit of what you guys talked about.
1: Um, we just talked about the history of the magazine and uh, Kevin had made a comment that he felt the slam coming up was more important than ESPN and um, sports illustrated when it came to um to basketball, to the culture of basketball. And he just wanted to kind of like just give us our flowers and talk through, you know, the history of the magazine with Russ and I. So we kind of, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was it was it was a nice two-hour conversation, reminiscing, going through some stuff, telling stories, you know, that they probably didn't even know, you know, just talking about the magazine. It was it was it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, but no. you know, it's all good. But they told us the way they sold it to us, like hey I man, y'all, our first guest. Y'all was like, gonna oh, be cool. first. All huh? are 1st guests you all was going to be 1st alright right, right. Hey man, look. Hey, look, 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 man. Let's be honest. If, if if you a virgin in this game and it's your first time, I'm going to choose Kyrie <laughs> before I choose me and Russ all day. Right. Like, if this is going to be my first time, no, I'm going with that dude.
0: That makes sense. All day. So <laughs> something else came up in that podcast, very interesting. Kyrie had another uh, comment when he talked about Steve Nash and uh, pretty much just said, look, man, we really don't need a head coach. We don't look at Steve Nash as a head coach. I could be the head coach. Uh, KD even mentioned that Jacques Vaughn could be the head coach. And uh, it came off as just very uh, arrogant to a lot of people, just dismissing the importance of head coaches in the NBA. We all know, and history has shown, if you have the best players, more than likely 96% of the time, you win the NBA championship.
1: Unless you mean <laughs> Anthony.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's real. So your thoughts on that comment, BC? Like, do you think they really believe that, or are they just speaking as far as how they view the game right now? They're able to go out there and execute and lead a team without having this big uh, I guess Phil Jackson type as a head coach. Well, I
3: mean, I think you know a lot of the perceptions today about the NBA is that coaches really don't matter, you know what I'm saying like the players are so good, and if you got match them up the right way, you know the coach is kind of like an afterthought. I personally disagree with that, um, you know simply because you can have a bunch of talented guys, but if you don't you know if you you know if you don't have the ability to mold all those you know personalities and keep everything in line and then you know keep those guys behind them engaged. For an entire season, and you know, come up with sets and come up with different strategies and stuff like that. It's just, just a lot more than just rolling the ball out and just you know, telling guys to go play. Um, you know, obviously, the talent in the NBA today is very high, the guys are very skilled. So, you know, to an untrained eye, it looks like you know, they just playing out there with the best guys, and the coach doesn't really mean anything. Um, but that's not true, and I don't know if. I don't think that's what Kyrie was saying. I think Kyrie was basically saying, like, you know, I'm Kyrie Irving and I got Kevin Durant with me. So, you know, you pair us up, you know, it doesn't really matter who's on the sidelines. Um, I think that's kind of what he was saying and that's kind of what he was alluding to. But I don't think it was disrespectful in terms of coaching. I definitely think it was disrespectful in terms of Steve Nash, um, you know, or any of those guys might be enough for that position. But I just think he just feels like him and KD are that good. And so whoever the coach is, you know, their job is going to be that much easier.
0: But I don't think that's disrespecting the need to have a coach. You know, kind of nexus those comments to this right here. And Alvin Gentry and Nate McMillan and then eventually Doc Rivers, they lose their jobs. Doc Rivers eventually gets the job in Philly. But with that being the backdrop, and you have these comments, and then the uproar that came with Steve Nash getting the Brooklyn job, uh, pretty much without any minority candidates really being interviewed for the job or seriously talked about. Is it up to NBA players to take more of a stand when it comes to the entreatment of black coaches or the opportunities for black coaches? We have more black coaches, I guess, in assistant positions around the NBA, but taking that next step. How scoop. How important is it for NBA players to be involved with that? Or should they be involved with it or have that pressure on them at all?
1: I think it's a situation by situation, situation. You know, uh, I, you know, I think Kyrie, going back to Kyrie's comments, I think his comments are kind of soaked in conversations he and DeRay probably had with Steve Nash. And Steve Nash probably preached, hey, man, it's my first time ever doing this. So I'm going to lean pretty heavy on you guys. To make this happen, and you know, Jacques is already there, and we got. I'm gonna lean on Jacques harder than anybody, cause he basically has carried the torch up to this point. So Steve Nash, and knowing Steve Nash, he probably's like, you know, we're gonna do this by committee. Yeah. So that gave Kyrie the freedom to say what he said. It just was taken, you know, the wrong way. And Kyrie should know better by now. But the statements he make, how they're gonna be taken. But I don't think there was any malice in that statement or any shade thrown at the coaching position or the coaching fraternity i think it's a unique situation that they're in because of who steve nash is and this is his first time doing this and having a relationship with kd having conversations with you know Kyrie and probably jacques like look we're gonna do this by committee you know very much the same way steve kerr did when he got down to uh golden state when he had ron adams and he had alvin drichie like look we're going to do this by committee and we're going to lean on Steph. We're going to lean on Draymond. We're going to lean on the players that have been here. And I'm going to personally lean on Mark Jackson to get us. You know, they did it by committee. And it's still kind of being done that but that way. Steve still gets the credit for being a quote-unquote head coach, but it's not like that. It's not run like that. They It's a, it's an all-in situation. And it's, so I think that's what Kyrie – was rooted in when he made that comment and it doesn't come from anywhere. It comes from previous conversations. Now to the second question about should players have more, be more involved, have more power, I guess, to make decisions on who the coach situation is. And that's what says say is from situation to situation. I, I think in this particular situation with Kyrie and Kevin, they haven't been as big as they are. They haven't been with the Nets long enough. To make a decision based on how ownership is going to run their franchise, but I think there are players who have been in franchise and done things long enough where they do have the power to say something, and if if they if they mean that much to their organization, you know, I think going back to Golden State, Steve Kerr, great dude, but if Steph and Clay and like Draymond collectively was like, hey, you know what, we want Mark Jackson back you know, or whatever they want to do, they are in position much better to make moves or make statements that are going to lead to change from an organization standpoint than somebody who hasn't, the two players who haven't bounced the ball for the organization and done something for the organization yet. I just did a radio show last week talking about, you know, who the Clippers should hire as their next head coach following Doc Rivers and should, Kawhi and Paul George be in that conversation with, you know, Steve Ballmer. I'm like, tell me what the hell Paul George and Kawhi Leonard did to earn the right after the way they played. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To say yeah. something. You've been there one year and you underachieved like a motherfucker. You know, yeah. hey, I'm all down for the cause, fist up and all that. But yo, your black ass has got no right to say anything about anything this organization does after what you did now if you earned the right now like even though he's only there one year but if Kawhi wanted to talk about something that he stayed in toronto he'd have earned the right to do that because of he he, he single-handedly there and they bought them a championship so my point is that it goes from situation to situation michael jordan had the right to say anything he wanted to about how the bulls ran the organization because what he done what he had done for them you know he didn't have the same rights in dc even though he did have ownership there you know what i'm saying Patrick Ewing, when he was a Nick, all that time there, he got rights. Dominique Wilkins, when he was with you know, Atlanta, he earned the rights. So if you look at the collective of who goes on and who's at what team and what they've done there, yes, there are certain black players that do have rights within the organization and franchise to stress who that organization should look to to hire for a coach. But it's very situational because not every black player has that right to start making those decisions like Kimber Walker cannot say anything in Boston right now. Right. But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown probably have more ground to make that, make that statement and have a say in that particular conversation. You know, so we have to take those things in mind when we're talking about organizational moves and black players dealing with issues of race and what the organization should do. And also you need to know what that player's contract is at the time when they start taking stands. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. Players are still bound by contracts. You know, so if you know, if, if you're about to enter into free agency and, and you on shaky ground anyway, like hey, no dude, matter what you say. <laughs> right. It don't matter what you say, because right, mm-hmm. so you have to take that in consideration too. You can't, you know, you can't take no stokey carmichael stances, and your ass right. is on your way out the door. You know, right. you're about to be on the trading block. So I think it goes from situation to situation.
0: All right. The podcast, according to sources, as always, Sean Davis at SD2Mics, Chris Casey at C4Dunk, Brian Crawford at B underscore Crawford D. Special guest, Scoop Jackson. You talked about Slam Magazine, and you talked about how important it is to the culture, and to basketball, and to the young players that exist, young stars that exist in the NBA today. So that leads us to our next topic when we talk about the evolution of the goat conversation. It's very prevalent right Mm -hmm. now because of where LeBron James is and trying to solidify his resume, win a fourth championship. Is he the GOAT over Michael Jordan? Can he ever catch Michael Jordan? In your time and all the stories that you've written, can you peg when the GOAT conversation really came into existence? Because I can remember when I grew up, Michael Jordan was everything to me, and my father would beat me over the head with Elgin Baylor all the time. It's like my Elgin Baylor used to put up those type of stats all the time. You need to read about El- Elgin Baylor. So it seemed to be regional or it seemed to be preferential, but now it seems to be more solidified. I, I guess
1: universal was Michael Jordan the first universal
0: recognized GOAT when it comes to the NBA.
1: Not um, being the OG in the conversation, it didn't transition like that. I was surprised your father like just skipped over Julius Irving. <laughs> he friend, so I Dr. because it was it was it was Elgin Baylor then it was Julius Irving and then you know from there it was the magic and bird mm-hmm. conversation and I think what's happened is that you know leading up to Michael Jordan there was always transition the conversation started but it was a conversation mm-hmm. and then it was given time for everybody to prove them wrong Elgin Baylor held it down for a long time Doc came in, did his thing in the ABA, and that was amazing. But like, yeah, hey, let's see what he does in the NBA. And after a period of time, you know, those Elgin Baylor cats, same way with Will Chamberlain. It was Will Chamberlain, fell forever, and it was hard for the older cats. I was young at the time. But it was hard for those older cats to give Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that torch when he was Lou Al Alcindra. It was really tough. But after like five or six years, you know, right. everybody bows down. Same thing with uh, ooh. hello y'all still there? Yeah, we're here. All right. um, same thing with uh, what you call it? With uh, uh um, like I said with Elgin Baylor, it was you know, just Doc came in and once he got to the NBA, everybody started bowing down after that. Um, and from there, this is where it got difficult. Is Magic and Bird came in together, yep. and. They got a good head start because they brought their college experience into the game. And, you know, it's like, all right, well, now it's two. And it was not just about what they did on the court, it was what they were able to do. And Doc wasn't able to do. You know, they kind of both went through Doc to get to where they were. You know, Bird in the Eastern Conference getting him in magic, hell, you know, came in the league taking, you know, uh, chips away from Doc. So they did that. And, when Michael came in, it wasn't just a doc conversation. It was a doc slash Larry Bird slash Magic Johnson. And it took time for Michael to get in there from our standpoint, not from your standpoint, because you're young, because Michael meant everything to you. But from our standpoint, it was like, he still has to surpass Magic and and, and Larry to get that crown. And once he did that, it was all good. What seems to happen now is that, the conversation starts without really doing anything to see if that person passed that individual. And I hate to say it, but a lot of that is on us. And when I say us, I mean ESPN. The difference that everybody else had, uh, well, that LeBron has that nobody else had is the power of ESPN. Yep. ESPN mm-hmm. generated a 24 seven nonstop platform for that conversation to exist. And that's, that's <clears throat> forced the nature of how, that's forced the nature of how it's actually gone down in the past, where there's been those periods where you had the conversation and the other person who was coming up new had a chance to prove to those who were against it that, you know what, okay, he earned the right. You know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar earned the right. Julius Irving earned the right. Michael Jordan earned the right. We started to have this conversation where LeBron had was been, has been, he hasn't necessarily earned the right to surpass Michael Jordan, but he hasn't had to surpass Michael Jordan to get into the conversation. The conversation started as equal, and ESPN as a network has fueled a conversation that they weren't in position to fuel before.
3: You know, I agree with that. And I think, you know, to kind of take that one step further, You know, I I think the GOAT conversation for me now, these days, is about who someone's favorite player is. Not necessarily, you know, what they have done, you know, in their careers or anything like that. It's just like, okay, this is my favorite player, and that's why he's the GOAT. And like Scoop said, you know, a lot of that is fueled by ESPN. And then the other side of that is a lot of people who are, you know, making these GOAT claims don't really know history. You know, you got people who think the reason Michael Jordan was as good as he was was because the talent that he played in was inferior compared to, you know, what guys are today. And it's just not the case. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, there's a lot of recency bias that goes on in that conversation. And it's a lot of closed ears too, you know, whereas, you know, guys in this generation, like, you know, put myself in school situation, you know, like now I'm that OG because I'm I've seen Michael Jordan, you know what I'm saying? I saw magic and I saw, you know, Kareem and bird, even though it might've been the tail end, but I saw all of that stuff. And so, I have a perspective that a lot of these young guys don't because of the simple fact, I have witnessed these errors. And so, you know, I can sit up here and say, you know, yeah, I saw that the competition, there was no fall off. You know, I can say that, but you know, a lot of these young cats, they don't want to hear it, you know, just because it's been drilled into them so much.
1: Let me ask you a question, B, why do you have to, why does this generation, and I'm not trying to get like generational, but I need somebody explaining to me why it is so important to have to see something. To validate it. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's like you know, because look, ain't none of us seen Jesus. (laughs) I mean, that's true. You know, know, believing in higher powers and stuff like that. Ain't none of it. All these kids, they never seen Martin Luther King, but they understand the movement. You know, so I don't understand why, when it comes to basketball, you know, and 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 this goat conversation. Well, if I didn't see it, it didn't exist.
3: Right. You know.
1: And that's there's I, a lot you know, of have not seen. You haven't seen, but you fall
3: for that. Well, I mean, but for me, growing up in the game, like I was a, I was kind of like
1: a history buff on it. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted I'm to go not, back and see. You know, I I'm wanted not, to see I'm who others. Others, not you. I'm, I'm talking about explaining to me why others use that as their crutch. Like I, think, I didn't see it, so I can't. Oh, it didn't yeah. happen. Like I yeah, but, yeah, I think yeah.
2: everybody wants to be able to say I saw the best basketball player. There was I think this whole LeBron versus MJ, I still don't put LeBron over Kobe or even Magic to that standpoint. And it all depends on what you're looking at. I mean, are you looking at overall stats? Are you looking at titles? Are you looking at finals appearance? It's whatever. But I think at the end of the day, everybody wants that claim that I saw the best basketball player there is. And then there's a lot of people that fall into that crowd. They just they just take a side. You know they're not even really purely basketball fans and a lot of these people now they're not watching every each game they're watching national games and they're watching postseason games and all of it is still narrative driven now because you like you said you got the 24 7 sports uh news cycle on you got all of these talk shows all these debate shows so everything is constantly getting pumped into this new generation and they buy into it so i just think at the end of the day everybody wants to be able to say i saw the best basketball player. There he is. You know, you know what? Jeff I'm gonna
3: go ahead. And I, was
2: ask gonna,
3: I was gonna say this. Um, Jeff Van Gundy said something. I wanted maybe it was like game one, something like that. I maybe I um, overheard a game two, but he was talking about you know LeBron and the Michael Jordan conversation, and Jeff Van Gundy was like, you know, at the end of the day, LeBron James might walk away as the player who had the best career out of everybody yeah. who was in this goat conversation. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily make him the best player.
2: Best player, yeah. And
3: and when I heard that, I was like, you know what? That really kind of put me at peace with the whole thing because that kind of like broke it down. Like, you know what? I understand that. I can actually concede that. I can actually say, you know what? LeBron James played damn near 20 years in the league, put up numbers in this particular modern era that we haven't seen, you know, obviously ever. You know what I'm saying? And he's racked up all these accolades. I'm okay with saying he's had the best career than, you know, maybe a Michael Jordan who, accomplished a lot in 13 years, but he didn't play as long as LeBron, you know, he didn't have no, he had a couple of years of college before, you know, whereas LeBron came into high school, so he got off to an earlier start. So I'm okay with Bron saying, you know, or somebody saying that Bron had a better career, but in terms of actual better player, you know, and what that means, nah, you know, there's no way that LeBron could be better than Michael Jordan. You know what
1: I'm, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Sean? You know what I'm I've always left it at this man, and usually this ends the conversation. If LeBron and Mike in a room together, that's when the con- that's when the go conversation is gonna be decided. And if you really believe that LeBron James can prove to Michael Jordan and them two in a room just alone, if you believe LeBron James can walk out of that room convincing Mike that he's better than him, then that's the yeah. would. but yeah. we all know that's not gonna, not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen, it's not gonna happen and to me, and that that's it. It's because it's a conversation between two people. And if those two people who are the subjects of this conversation have a conversation, that's it. We, our point means nothing. Mm -hmm. It's between them two, but we all know who's going to come out on top of that conversation.
3: I mean, you know what? And it's bigger than basketball. You know, I mean, you can, Michael, listen, man, Michael Jordan literally is basketball. Like literally is the game. Like when you think about basketball, Michael Jordan is going to be the first person that you think of, you know, because he took it from, you know, what it, you know, what it was. And, you know, obviously magic and Larry, you know, they saved the league, they saved the NBA, but Michael Jordan blew basketball up and turned it into this big global thing. You know what I'm saying? And LeBron just kind of, you know, if you want to say he kind of rode the coattails of that because he had the internet, you know what I'm saying? And once LeBron is like the first internet superstar that we've seen in basketball. And so that's why that's, really a large part of the reason why a lot of these young guys think he's the GOAT because they grew up with the internet and he was the first person that they saw. So it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't matter if he's been in 10 finals and, you know, lost six of them. It doesn't matter to them because they don't, you know, they don't really understand that whole, Winning type of attitude because in the internet everything moves quick like this. You know what I'm saying? They don't understand the
1: grind. Understand once again that if Mike and LeBron are in a room together, locked doors, they know Mike's gonna come out.
3: I mean, LeBron man, LeBron know better, and that's the other part of LeBron. He knows better, man. But he buys into a lot of this stuff too.
1: I know, but 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 that that's the point. It's like we can talk about it all we can. The, all of us could talk about it. The whole damn world could talk about it. But the two people who are at the center of this, if they talk about it, just them. He couldn't have it, had that con- He couldn't have had that conversation with Kobe. Like Chris said, like he's not even, he hadn't even passed Kobe. Right. And, and and Mike and Kobe would be the same exact same thing. He'd come out and
2: you know so
1: and, that- and, and it's not about like Mike litigating better than they do, it's just the facts. Right. The basketball. The Michael. Michael would lay down hard basketball facts that those cats would be. I ain't gonna say they'd be scared, but they would have no comeback for. Them. And and because of who they're talking to. Exactly. Exactly. They can say some shit to us. But when you sitting there in front of Michael, you trying to prove to Michael Jordan you're greater than him? Good luck.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Good luck good. with that
1: mean, yeah. if you can't do that, then you can't be claimed to go. Mm-mm. You cannot be claimed to go. You know what I'm saying? Look, Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal can walk up to, you know, a uh, uh, Rod labor or be on board and straight up be like, look, man, I was the greatest tennis player. And they're like, hey, we can't argue with that. Right. You know what I'm saying? We, can, we cannot argue with that. There are certain players that are doing certain things. There's, look. It it doesn't make a difference. There are so many players doing so many things that you can't walk into the room and have a two-person conversation, and if you come out the winner, then you're the actual GOAT. Yep. You are the actual GOAT. Now, like, here, I got one. Let's say i, I throw it up there because it's, it's, it's equal, but people could argue. Who, who could go in the room with Tom Brady? Who could, go to, who could go in the room with Tom Brady? Tom Brady and Jim Brown. Okay, who's gonna come out that argument the winner? If they want to claim in Golden Football, who gonna come out?
3: Shit, they better hope it ain't no bathroom Dan Brown to throw Tom Brady off the <laughs> bat.
1: Right, right, exactly, all right, so <laughs> right. so that's my point. It's like, let's get two people in the room and let them decide it. Our, our conversation about this is a lot of time based on opinion,
2: yeah. mm-hmm.
1: and like he said, it's based on preference of who we favor. My thing is get down to the root of this and talk about the two individuals, what would happen if they had a conversation. How would that come out? And to me, if you believe or if anybody believes that if LeBron James and Michael Jordan were in a room and had a conversation about who was the greatest of all time and LeBron and they feel LeBron James would win that conversation, then I'm not going to argue with you. That If you can stand on that, then that's what you stand on in your mind that's in it mind. So that's the conversation is and that has nothing to do with preference or who you favor it's just a matter of what you think What's gonna happen is gonna happen when those two come out that room for a conversation and it's not about them playing against each other because all we're doing is having conversations about a goat that's all it is is a conversation
2: right
1: mm-hmm. so put the conversation to the two people at the center of it and whoever comes out the room that's it because guess that's what be honest with you if we're having this national or global conversation about who the GOAT is, and LeBron and Michael do have that conversation, and Michael Jordan comes out and says, you know what, LeBron convinced me he was greater than me, what can we say? You know what I'm saying? What the, it's over. If Michael Jordan says LeBron convinced me that he was greater than me, we like, hey, we can disagree, but we can't have we a can't it. because the man already said it. Yeah. Conversation that's the way we need to go with all of these GOAT conversations.
3: You know, I put tell the, Mike to, I might tell Mike to put the yak down. <laughs> <laughs> he had a little too much to drink.
1: Look, man, <laughs> you, you know how look, you know how Mike goes. Mike, Mike is so that's why I put it. Mike is so particular about holding on to his stature. That I love the fact when he was talking about the dunk contest and jumping from the free throw line. He said, you know what made mine greater than Dr. J's ever from the free throw line?
2: Dribble the ball. Yes. Dribble
3: the ball,
1: yeah. Right. Like, nobody's calling traveling in the dunk contest, but Mike is so hard on sticking true to what makes him great. He broke it down to the dribble. So I'm like, if you break it down to a dribble in a conversation about the greatest dunk, you know what I'm saying? hmm what the hell are you gonna do LeBron James talk about a whole career in front of your face? Man, he gonna eat him alive. Right. <laughs> he will eat him alive. Mike, Mike, is, Mike is petty like that, but it's a beautiful yeah. petty. It's a beautiful petty, because it's a petty you can't come back at. There you go. And when you're trying to win an argument, and all of y'all got women in your lives. When it comes to petty, you trying to win an argument, dude.
3: It ain't (laughs) happening. Yeah, it it ain't ain't happening. happening. You don't never win win an argument with that petty petty
1: person. Hey, that petty wins
0: all the time. All the time. Podcast according to sources. Look, before we let you go, Scoop, what's the one story that you felt like supplanted or made slam magazine? the cultural iconic piece of literature that it was for the culture. And then what's that one story that you haven't gotten that you still want to get?
1: Hmm, Um, the story I think that supplanted us in the magazine was a story that Tony Gervino wrote in issue four. Cover story on John Starks for issue four. That did it for me. And Tony and I had done an issue together. We had done issue three because we came into issue three together and we kind of did issue three. Uh, but issue four, Tony did a cover story on Johnson. Tony didn't write much, you know, because he was the editor in chief, so he didn't have time to write. But he he I can still it that that to me did it because that was something different. We it's to me, it set the foundation for what everybody needs to bring to the table because uh the way he created it uh talking about the sound that john Stock's shots made in that game seven against houston the lost new york and i can remember to this day it's clank 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 and throughout the whole story he kept inserting those clanks and it was so creative so different so so what you would have never read sport news or sports illustrated at the time you as all these other publications you wouldn't have read that anywhere, and that to me set the stage for, um, you know, everything we did going forward in slam, and it set the stage for a readership, too, because, like, um, when it came time to do a Reggie Miller story, and they refused to do Reggie Miller, and I had to force them to Reggie Miller, because they're Nick fans up there, and they hate Reggie Miller, you know, and I did the Reggie Miller story, all I'm thinking about is, all right, Tony did his John Stark story, and that set the standard, you know, so about the clanking, I'm going to start off this story comparing Reggie Miller's shooting to dropping bombs. You know what I'm saying? And so that forced me to start writing in a way and doing stories and taking angles and narratives you know, that that, that kind of built up over time that established slam, but what started it to me was Tony's story in issue number four on John Starch. That was just that, that was the dopest. Um, and the story that um I haven't done and I probably never do, it probably goes back to conversation BC and I had earlier this week. Um, is the real story about Alan Iris's life. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a back and forth about underdogs, and you know, mm-hmm. I you know, I've I'm privy enough to really, really, really know, you know, how Allen came up and how his life was and understanding that there's no way, there's no way we should be talking about this kid ever at all. You know, I said back in the day, I said, if anybody knew Allen Ivers' true story, Oprah would have had him on the Angel Network immediately. (laughs) You know, um, but he's very protective about his past. Uh, He has a lot of dignity, a lot of pride, but, if his true story ever came out um I, I would i would you know i get it's never gonna come out uh but that would be one i would love to tell but it's tied with another story and i don't want chris and brian to laugh because they, they they're gonna they're gonna shake their head because they they want to tell this story too and um the guy told me if he ever told the story, he's going to give it to me. I was going to write the book. <laughs> and that's the story of World Wide West. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. West, um, West, West. West is, Wes is the, never
3: going to be told.
1: Right. Exactly. So to Sean's question, the story that, you know, um, to, that's a tie with Allen Ivey's story to get, you know, West's story told, um, yeah, I've had two people tell me that if, if they ever write a book, they're gonna have me do it. Bishop Don Juan was one, <laughs> Worldwide West was one. I don't know what that says about my life. <laughs> yeah. But uh look, man, Wes's story is, it, and every it's, it's kind of like Alan Iverson's in the way that there's stories inside of those stories that nobody will ever know, that nobody ever leave, that I've been privy enough to be around west to experience and um it's a fascinating story that i'll never be able to write that ties itself with the alan Ives story that i'll never ever ever be able to write
3: well hey let me let me answer that question about the story that um for me that made slam the cultural icon was it the ricky Davis story that you did with all the periods
1: yeah, right.
3: yeah every everybody Listen, yeah okay go ahead finish talking that story that that story right there is is it is it it was a piece of journalism that you will never see again. You no. will never see that, you know, because you'll, you, first of all, how does anybody come up to even think that, you know what I'm saying? And then I heard, you know, I heard stories. It was hell, you know, behind the scenes when you turn that in and they had hell just editing it. Cause they didn't know what to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Like they look at it like, what is this? But it yeah. ran and it was like, and, and, it became like this cultural, like we talked about this scoop. Like it just that that story to the life of its own. Like it became like this underground, like cult favorite of like Scoop Jackson. Like that made like everybody wanna write because they read that shit. Like yo, how like who comes up with this stuff? You know what I'm saying? So for me, that story right there, the fact that he wrote it and that it got printed and that it took me like thirty times to read it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like to actually get it. Yeah. So then, yeah to me like that was that was though that was that slam part to me,
1: yeah, yeah, and I' had done the story that mean, Tony has had to deal with a couple of those like that, and you know that goes to trust, you know you hear it in basketball all the time where coaches trust players and do this that and the other, you know here's a situation where I had an editor and a publisher, you know, and this is one of those things like you're lucky you know you take advantage of being you know in the room where it happens, you know, especially if you're the only you know if, if you're that raising in a bowl of milk if you're the only brother mm-hmm. in the room, you know, um, that people do trust you. You know, they trusted me that this was gonna work, but they had trust before because the Ricky Davis piece wasn't, there were stories before that that led up to that, that Reggie Miller piece was one of them. The one that really started that whole thing from a creative standpoint was one I did on the Trail Speedwell, where I basically wrote it in Wu-Tang lyrics because I found mm-hmm. i was a Wu-Tang fan. And this is all for, into the 36th chamber, this is early Wu-Tang, this isn't up later on, and even in New York, they're like, what the hell is this? And I'm dropping, like, lines that I know Ghostface would spit. Lines that I know Raycon would spit. And that's one of the stories I actually wrote. I didn't write it for people to read. I wrote it for La trail. I'm like, he'll get this. I strictly wrote it for the to get And Tony's like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, trust me. Just trust me. You know what I'm saying? Just trust me. And it's another one of those things that over a period of time in the underground, some of the, oh, man, this is dope because... People were reading in the Wu Tang, and they connected to that story because of the way it was stylized, as if I was like a tenth MC mm-hmm. in the Wu Tang Clan. You know, if folks got that. So by the time it got to the Ricky Davis story, even with all some of the pushback, it was like, oh yeah, this is scoop shit again, and he's done stuff like this before, and it's worked, so we trust him. If I had come out the bat doing that, it never would have done that. But there was things mm-hmm. it leading up to that that they knew. I was doing what was in the best interest of the magazine, the best interest of the readers, the best interest of the culture, you know? But that's just me trying to, you know, push the boundaries, you know, trying to give you all, you know, not only you all something different to read every time out, but also challenging myself to see what, you know, what the fuck I got inside of me that I can come out with you know, and and that's a lot of, you know, reading of other people's work, like reading Gary Smith and being like, damn, I'm never going to get to this level, but I can try, you know, reading Tom Bernard, who I, you know, I, you know, Tom is in his creative mind, you know, like, damn, all right, how can I flip this and get close to doing this, you know, reading other, reading Nelson George's, the reading folks stuff and like, all right, how can I, you know, reach this level? And you all know me, Listening to Stevie and Prince and Rakim and Cool G Rap, you know, and, and, and watching The Wire and looking at mm-hmm. the way, you know, David Simon wrote shit and like, damn, how can I get there? You know, how can I turn that into this? You know, so it, it, it comes from, like I said, trying to do what's in the best interest, but also trying to give you all something different, you know, and me trying to push myself to, you know, be better than I was the next time out you know, be different than I was the next time out. And um, yeah, a lot of people go to that Ricky Davis story. A lot of people go there, And I didn't think about it having that type of impact at all. Because like I said, I, I, you know, I've done stuff like that in the past, but for some reason that would connect it. But I think it connected because I really laid heavy on using one single word, meaning more than single words. Like I was trying to write one word paragraphs. You know what I'm saying? Like this one word is going to have the power of one paragraph. How can I find a way? to, And then find a way to link it into the next word or a word, four words away. So when you read it, you're like, damn, wait a minute. Let me go back and read that. And this connects with that. But mm-hmm. that's going back to, to like Coogee Rap and him spitting bars and like, damn, he took that from here to here and brought it back to here. Now, how could I do that from a journalistic standpoint? And then not only do that without copying it, but then do it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it all stems from, you know, it all stems from places. And when, when you're trying to reach the levels that you see other people of greatness do and you know you never reach it, you got to at least swing, man. You got to at least try.
0: Hey, man, from outcast to borrow a title from one of their songs, The Art of Storytelling. Yeah. What do you feel like storytelling when it comes to the culture, the NBA and basketball in general? Are you happy? with where it exists and where it is and where yeah
1: in in sections i am yeah i I think i think the narrative of long-form storytelling has um kind of gone by the wayside for a bit i think it still exists but it's not you know the thing anymore uh you know the, the the business is leaning towards a forced understanding under my belief that people's attention span isn't that long and they don't want to spend that much time engaging but you know, uh, people are still doing long form writing, books are still selling, you know, there's no way you could tell me that people aren't into long form writing and, you know, Game of Thrones is flying off the shelves and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Lords of the Rings, you know, you have Stephen King books, all these other long form, 800 page, you know, documents, you know, are still flying off the shelves. and people are still doing things and, and, and you know, blogs are being written, 5,000 word blogs are getting like millions of clicks. So, there's still an interest for long-form writing. We're just in a stage where the larger businesses is trying to restructure the narrative. Um, And I think great long-form storytelling still happens in sections. I think you're coming into a space where a lot of the celebrated writers and journalists have not been forced to or given the opportunity to really dive into long-form writings to build their careers off of so you're finding a lot of young talented writers not being able to create long form storytelling in a way that they possibly could because it's not in demand right now. Um, and some of the long form storytellers that we had in the past have kind of retired for the most part. You know, Rick Riley's, the, like I said, the Nelson Georges before, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the Gary Smiths, you know, um, you, know, the, you know, all the cast that came into the day and they were, you know, doing and pinning you know, stories, um, they just, you know, they aren't around anymore. They, they, were, they were dealing with a different level of print. So I, th- I think you have to go and you have to do a little more searching. It's like finding good music now, or what you consider good music, you know, where you're dealing with not just music that's been programmed, but where you're seeing producers and creatives layering sound the way sound used to be layered, and you get a richness in the music that's not just one beat that runs consistent, even though it's a dope ass beat, you know, it's one beat that runs consistent. And then there may be one chord or bar change in that. And then it goes back to that. If you're going to find music where it's just layered, you know, where you see different sounds coming in on top of one another and it's a building of stuff and you get the richness of it. That stuff still exists. Mm-hmm. You know, but you have to now search harder to find it. It's the same thing with basketball writing and narrative and, and this form of long form and it's you know Long form uh, storytelling, as far as um uh, as we go, as far as journalism is, is concerned, it's it's out there, but it's harder. You have to do a little more work to try to find it right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there 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 are great writers um, that are taking great strides to tell great narratives. You know, e- even in short form. You know, um, my only concern is that that there seems to be a sense of disposability with that because of the frequency in which things come out. Um, I'm, I'm in my mind, am experiencing the second wave of a generation that is looking at their work as being quote-unquote quote disposable because they can cover for it very quickly. You know, and there's no, there's a lot of, spaces where there's no monetary investment behind that that makes you feel you're going to lose something if this doesn't come out right so you know the fact that you have a lot of cats that are building their own blogs and building their own websites and they're not having to put their own financial equity behind it and they're not going to lose anything if they write some shit that's bullshit that's allowing them to write bullshit Mm -hmm. get away with it as opposed to like look you know we're starting this magazine or we're starting a digital magazine i took 1500 or five thousand dollars of my own money and i had to build this from there and now i'm going to be particular about every word i write because now there's a there, there's a monetary value to the words that i write now i can't waste words anymore you know now it's like look man i write a blog didn't cost me anything to post this so i'm gonna stay with the fuck i want to say say it and if it's bullshit, hey, I cover it up the next day and not lose anything behind that. You know what I'm saying? My career or my brand is not going to suffer behind that. So we're moving to the second generation of that. But I, I don't want to think that because that seems to be what's above the fold line right now in journalism, that that's the entire narrative of journalism when it comes to sports and basketball as, as it exists. Um, You know, I, I think there's some skills. There's still some stuff out there. And, and there's also part of me that feels the way that the BC does about the numbers game and how you know numbers have become so prevalent in the storytelling now. You know, when it comes to you know dealing with basketball specifically. Um, but that's you know, I take that for what it is. You know, that's that's that that's that's colonization at its best, and that's something that's always been here and it's nothing new. It's just in a different form.
0: <laughs> BCC four, you guys are great writers in your own right, man. You you agree with Scoop? Is talking about with the state of long storm, long form storytelling when it comes to the culture in the NBA? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean go ahead. Go ahead. Chris. No, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's just
2: uh, like Scoop said. It's basically just editors, or even like the business behind that, looking at reader's attention spans and just putting everybody into a box saying well the common person's attention span is five minutes so you basically you know have like things now probably less than 1500 words or less because now everybody's like going to what's next what's next they're looking at twitter so it's kind of conditioning this younger generation to look at these small blurbs and you have to compartmentalize all the information in that one. So as a writer, there's no real chance to be creative because you basically, you just have to throw facts out there and then it's on to the next news thing. So, uh, but there are a lot of great writers out here. Uh, Some I know personally that, you know, still keeping that long form uh, story element going. Uh, One of my favorites is a young woman in LA, uh, Myron Pater from uh, Bleacher Report. Beautiful writer, man. And like so I think there's still there's still elements of it there. There's still writers out there that are doing it. Like Scoop said, you have to search for. You have to know who these writers are. Like it's not all in your face now because everybody now is just getting these like quick segmented pieces out there. Um, just because the thought process is everybody has like a little five minute attention span, and that's just not the case.
3: Yeah, you know what? I think um, you know, I think it's it's hard to be a long-form writer, you know, like Scoop and Chris said, you know, in an era where people's attention spans are short. Um, it's also hard to do that, you know, in an era where people don't really read. And, you know, they they, they they get a lot of the information visually, you know, doing stuff like we're doing, like, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. So, you know, it for somebody to continue to kind of have that, you know, that takes a passion because of so many things that you're up against in terms of you know technology and the way people receive information and consume information you know there are some still like you said there are some still great writers out there but you just got to find it you know long from long form is never going to die you know there's always going to be people who like those stories there's always going to be people who read books um you know we just have to get more of this younger generation to do that in terms of being there you know in, as, as opposed to just getting information from the microwave like as fast as they can get it
0: basically all right, Scoop, before we get out of here, we usually each and every podcast we do what we call flavor in your ear. All right. And we uh, we talk about what we've been listening to over the last week. So since you are the special guest this week, what's been the flavor in the ear of one Robert Scoop Jackson?
1: I've I've been in I've been deep into the uh, writing and editing mode for the last month, but um I'm for the la- I've been always into and and BC and uh, uh uh Chris know this. Um I've always been deep into DJs, so I'm always listening to trying to find you know DJs and listen to sets and this that and the other. Uh I since I've been in edit mode this week working on this project, I have been listening to Lil Louis Vega. I can't call him little anymore. I've been I've been finding and listening to Louis Vega mixes like all week long in the middle of this project I've been working on, but uh for the most part, going back for the last like Couple of years, I've really, really been immersing myself into, um, you know, uh, casting into Afro and Tribal House. You know, so, you know, DJ Angel B, uh, DJ Robbie Z. Uh, uh, ah, man, I can, you know, there's a bunch of like cats, you know, just spinning dope, 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 super dope, you know, uh, Tribal and Afro House. That has been like been my go-to for you know, yeah, just it's, it's just you know, it's just been my go-to. I've been I've been doing that for the most part. Doing that for the most part, and there's a well, I could tell you somebody new. She just dropped my son, put me up on her, and I'm I don't want to say it because I'm gonna say her name wrong. Her name is Rena. She's an Asian pop singer, but she almost has a voice similar to Christina Aguilera. Her last name begins with a W, and I cannot say it, and I don't want to pronounce it wrong, but her first name is Rina, R-I-N-A. She just dropped her first album. She's been around for about five or six years, dropping singles, and I think she's had an EP, but her album just dropped, and she's kind of a pop rock-based artist, but her album is, is dope, and if you're into, and I'm a big fan of, pop music when it's done right, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. pop music when it's done correctly can be amazing, amazing. You know, you know if Michael Jackson didn't prove anything, Janet Jackson, Madonna, you know, you go to the Hall and Oates, you know, you go to good pop music, you're like, damn, it just hits, you know? And she's like the next, uh, Rena, I'll just say about first thing, she probably gonna be the next Billie Eilish, you know, where she does mm-hmm. pop music in that vein and it's like, all right, and I just got hip to her uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I, I did. Li- I did listen to her for a few days a couple of weeks ago. But other than that, man, I've just been immersed in doing my, you know, my DJ sets, you know, and, and listening to as much uh, indigenous African house music as I possibly can.
0: <laughs> uh, shout out to a couple of our listeners, our watchers that are watching. They are texting in. I got a text from my daughter who's watching, uh, Rina. Sawayama,
1: that's it, thank you. That's
0: oh, the Japanese, uh, yeah, Jeff
1: yeah, Jeff. yeah. yeah. You know. I, would, I would have jacked up her. I just know I haven't listened to her long enough to really get it right because you know I'm just really new to her. But she's she's though, and when you hear her sing, you're like, Oh, she got some soul in her. She does, I don't know where it comes from, and a lot of times the music doesn't fit her voice, but it works. She's, um, I that was one of the things I was telling my son, I just want somebody like for real to get his hands on her Mm. and give her some, and not, not that Pharrell does really soul music and she couldn't deal with like, you know, like a Curtis Mayfield track, that'd be too much. She's not Josh Stone, but give her something with a black music aesthetic that's rooted in black culture. She, it would be done. You're like, okay, you know, she got it. So yeah. Yeah, oh and shout out to other travel your local joy. Y'all know Alan, Alan King and Terry Hunter, those You know, come on.
3: Man. Well, well you know, my, my musical taste ain't as eclectic as scoops, but <laughs> I have been listening to indigenous music too. I have been listening to indigenous cult rap made by West Side Gun, who made the sunshine. You know, I've been listening to the conway the machine, so that's all I've been on.
2: Okay. All right.
3: No Benny the Butcher? Benny ain't dropping them yet. I heard, I heard Benny on everything that he did, you know, all those features and everything. I'm waiting okay, on all him right, all right, all
2: right. But Benny, you know,
3: Benny, for, me, for me, it goes Conway, Benny, and Westside. That's it okay. for me. Benny, Benny,
1: Benny's my dude, so I, uh, you know. Yeah,
3: my Anytime son like I Benny, do. too. That's how huh? I got up on Griselda. I got up on Griselda through Benny, because I tried to listen to Conway, and I ain't like it at first. OK. But then I got on to Benny, and then I circled back. And then I was like, oh no, all of this is dope. So yeah, I'm on that, okay. but but that new West Side, the new West side is dope.
0: Okay. All right. So, back what did you and Bang call West Side Gunner? Like the best uh hip hop love making music. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what Bang said.
3: But you know, I think, you know, man, like I like I was telling y'all, man. Like I think, I think Griselda basically they got their own golden were going right now. Like they bringing you back to that, you know, to that feel of that music that. You know, when hip-hop was big, we all used to enjoy it. So that's what I can appreciate because there ain't nobody else out there rapping like them, you know, rapping like doing the type of music that they doing. And So right. to me, that's why I like it because they kind of like, they in their own lane. Like it's an old lane, but it's a new lane, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people are still just kind of getting up on them. I still I hear people talking about Conway and Benny. I'm like, man, y'all kind of late. I've been listening to them boys for like four years. But, you know, I appreciate the fact people are getting up and they going back and listening to
2: some of that old stuff. C4? Uh, I've been on Grandma, so like I said, the last things I've been listening to is uh like the I feel like the old guy now, the best of Anita Baker, and uh, like Marvin <laughs> Gaye, Gay, I want to, you know, that's been on like rotation the last uh, week, week and a half for me.
3: Oh, and I did listen to, uh, I went back and listened to that, um, that Aretha national album that she recorded live in the church.
1: that. <laughs> People don't yeah, realize, man, that is, dude. That's that's one of the cool. That's one of the greatest music experience ever.
3: Ever, man. That man, hey, man. That 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 damn near made me cry, man. Because it was like yeah. you could just you could feel it. And it's actually that's a that's a documentary that I found and I saw. Like okay. that, you know, they just like yeah, you like they yeah. just showed, okay. like they they had the had entire it, thing yeah. being
1: recorded. Had it? Do you do you know the story behind that? Uh uh-uh. uh uh-huh. They had they had the film and recorded it at James Cleveland's church in LA they did the whole thing they literally documented it filmed it and recorded it somehow the film the sequencing of the film got lost and they couldn't sequence the sound from what they actually recorded so they never released it but recently because of technology they were able to go back and basically sync the film up to the recording. And that's how they were able to release the film. And they did it, they were doing it before she passed away, but they Mm. finalized it afterwards. So it was kinda like the last dance, it's been sitting there. But because of this, they they couldn't stick them together. So they never-
3: That's an experience, bro. Like that really is an experience. That was dope, that was super dope.
1: Yeah, hey, I don't wanna be funny, but speaking about goat conversations, that's this is exactly what I'm talking about. Who and you mentioned Anita Baker, who I love to death. And Gladys Knight, I've always said if Aretha Franklin never was alive, we talk about Gladys Knight the way we talk mm-hmm. about Aretha Franklin. Right. There's not one singer, maybe, maybe Luther. Maybe. Or Luciano Pavarotti, but not even like Barbara Streisand, who could sing her ad, you know, there's not one singer who could walk into a room and tell Aretha Franklin they're greater than her no
3: nobody
2: Mm -mm. Mm -mm. without getting me (laughs) look
3: i had i had a conversation with some people i work with you know and it was like it ended up being like anita baker versus aretha franklin i don't know how but you know a lot of people thought you know that anita baker was the better singer i'm like y'all tripping like can't
1: she can't even hold a candle to aretha franklin like it's not even close not even close and that's my point is that when you put somebody, when you put those two in the room, who's gonna come out, that's the greatest, it's the exact that's same great. thing. Anita, Anita's, Anita's, everybody know Anita's, I mean, uh, Aretha's the GOAT. You and know, Aretha and-, and would've, Aretha would have kicked Anita out of that room, like, don't
3: waste my time. Exactly. do <laughs> no. waste my time.
1: Like, look, unless you bring Mahalia Jackson up in here to talk to me, then you need right. to- exactly. Right there. Go sit down, yep. Right, and she, like I said, Luther maybe can look in the door.
2: He can peep in. Peep
1: he can in. Peep in. Hey, hey, we, hey, hey big sis, You okay? Can I can I, you know, he may be right. You right.
0: know, I'm just checking on you.
1: Right. I'm just on you. <laughs> that is all he can say.
0: So I uh I had two things I checked out this week because they celebrated anniversaries and shout out to uh some dude pod bang posted it all week. I checked out that uh black star was
1: oh, wow. I I most saw they go up. i
0: had to roll back through the black star and check that out and then i rolled back through uh the equipment oh
1: okay okay
0: those are the two albums and then yesterday uh one of the new releases i checked out i wanted to see what bryce and tiller was going to do with this anniversary album and uh i I was pleasantly surprised i wasn't expecting much but i was pleasantly surprised Wow! Uh, i got terrence tomlin said maybe whitney
1: would go in the room with aretha you know what, I was thinking of Whitney because I think Whitney, and, and this is this is what Aretha would say and this is what I've always stood on this. Whitney probably has the greatest voice. Mm-hmm. Like her voice is, is pure than anything vocally we've probably ever heard. I don't think she is the greatest singer though. Mm-hmm. Her voice and what she was able to do with it is what gets her in that conversation. It's very similar to like, like I said, Barbara Streisand whose voice is amazing. If you're looking for the technical sound of what a voice is supposed to sound like and what somebody could do as far as range and octave and all that, amazing. But there's so many more elements to singing besides just the sound of your voice. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the thing that would stop Whitney is that, okay, what are you making us feel with your voice? Like Marvin Gaye is not the greatest singer of all time. He didn't have the greatest voice. You know what I'm saying? So right. I'm saying? Okay. But he is the greatest singer of all time because of what he, is his voice combined with what he made you feel. Feel, he yeah. Is Luther Vandross has a greater voice than Marvin Gaye, but that does not necessarily make him a better singer or greater singer than Marvin Gaye because while Luther made you hear him, He didn't make you feel. And when you're looking at the composite of what somebody does, when we're talking about a singer, not a vocalist, a singer, when you talk about the greatest singer ever, I think that's where you lean on Aretha because not only did she have that voice, but she made her voice, like Brian said, made you feel a certain way. As much as I love Whitney, Whitney never did anything that make me want to cry, that made me feel like I He didn't touch me emotionally like that. Luther, as much as I love Luther, you can be amazed at Luther's voice, but he didn't do anything that hit you in your soul that made you feel a certain way. Marvin did that, you know? So I hear what they're saying about Whitney Houston, but to me, that's just her voice. And there's another component in that that to me is just as great that needs to be considered when we're talking about the greatest singer of all time, not the one with the greatest voice.
3: Man, Aretha, give me that shiver sometimes. You know that shiver that you time, get in your body, bro. you
1: know what I'm saying, Yeah, like, yeah.
3: it just hits you, yeah. Yeah, that's Aretha and it's stuff that
1: like a note or any, it's just her whole delivery mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. sound and where that sound came from that made you feel that. You know, and, and, and it's a lot of times that we deal with that, that's an unspoken thing that you can't document. There's no numbers, there's no data, there's nothing. It's about what you feel and how that artist or that person or whatever they do, how that creator makes you feel. And that is just as much a point of the conversation I think as anything. You know, I'm pretty sure, and I'm taking a stretch here, there may be somebody out there who can play the trumpet better than Miles Davis, technically. Mm-hmm. But ain't nobody gonna make you feel the way Miles You know what I'm saying? There's nobody that's gonna take you To those places You know, that make you Feel that certain the way The way he did that You know, and and That's, you know That to me is, is that that, that they, they go hand in hand when we're talking about Overall greatness Shout you out know?
0: to our boy, uh, Eugene McIntosh Well, we see Eugene Oh, he said uh, at BC, that new Willie the Kid is fire As well See, I
3: appreciate Gino, man, because Gino be putting me up on some stuff, and he don't he don't have no misses. I'm just I'm just hoping he oh I also been listening to that flea lord too. So Gino, I hope you've been checking them
0: out too. Hey Scoop, you talked about uh house and wall from Chicago. Who's walking in that room arguing best house DJ? Mm.
1: Um, walking in a room for that. Uh, it's, it's 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 going to be tough because of all things that in consideration. Um, Frankie's stature elevates him to the top of the conversation, but Frankie's technically not from here. You know, Frankie's from New York, so right. to have that. You know, if you talk about Chicago house. Are you talking about just house in general? Because those are two different conversations, really. But to me, we're the foundation of it. So it starts and ends here. Okay. Covers like that. But it's going to be tough to not include Frankie in that conversation because of a technicality. I, but, know what? I didn't
3: even I didn't even realize New York had a house music scene until like way later, way right. later. I had no idea yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. It was way later, you know. And that's that, that's that's credit to Larry Levan and uh, Frankie Nucker for the building. Yeah, Larry Levan, Frankie Knuckle. and, 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 and Timothy Regisport. You know, they were the ones who really, really gave New York a house foundation because they were playing, you know, what then was considered disco, but black disco is basically house music. So house that's music. you know, mm-hmm. right. So um, but to answer your question, Sean. I think, it it, just DJ, not producer, right? Just DJ, right? DJ. It has to start with Ron Hardy. And because of the longevity, he's probably LeBron James in this conversation. Alan King. And the trifecta on this conversation, because of what he did, it started off as the first, like, super house DJ, and because he still has relevance now, Jesse Saunders. As far as house music goes in Chicago, the conversation about who's the greatest would have to start off with those three. And that's, and I'm trying to, it's hard to bring Jesse in there because he started producing music so early and he created a sound through production, not just DJing, but he started off as a DJ. But still what he does here is still important. And I would include Terry Hunter in there, but Terry's young in the game. And he's got a lot of credit for his production, you know, as, as much as he has his DJing. But strictly from a DJing standpoint, Ron Hardy, Alan King, Jesse Saunders. To me, those three are the GOAT conversation starters. Now, who comes out the room? Yeah. Um, I, Jesse's arrogance would not allow him to come out the room without losing. Alan... His respect for the craft would probably bow down to Ron Hardy, and I don't know. I didn't know Ron person like that, but from what I've heard about Ron and people talking about Ron as a nice and humble individual, he was. He was very very secure in his role of establishing house music in Chicago, and um, he he probably he probably forced Jesse to be like leave
0: man that's the podcast according to sources as always we are streaming on all digital platforms you can go find a2s network and you should be able to download all of our previous episodes you can also find us at paytonsport.net paytonsportnet.com for Sports network and as always
1: can I shout out one thing, one thing, real quick? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, because I know this dude would take it personally, you know, because he has a beautiful pettiness himself. But Wayne Williams would probably be in the room too. I had to give, I had to give Wayne his credit. Okay. I had to give Wayne his credit. It can't be just a thing. Wayne, Wayne would force himself in the room. Shout out to DJ him Wayne himself Williams, himself. man. Yeah, shout out to DJ, shout out to Wayne Williams, and and I know he's coming me before, so I know I don't want to say anything in public and not include him in that conversation. <laughs> If he comes at me again, we're gonna have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: podcast, according to sources, uh, ESPN Zone, Undefeated, oh man, Island Media, Slam Magazine, ESPN, e- I, yeah, ESPN. I'll say that again, All right? The OG, gotta,
1: gotta, the big homie, gotta, gotta, OG. gotta, gotta the Mr. Icon. It's, 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 that mickey mouse come to the house you gotta say mickey mouse dude (laughs) global
0: icon man the list just goes on and on i don't man the fact that all you guys are writers i'm just gonna tell you now i don't have enough words to be able to give you the flowers the proper flowers that you deserve bro i
1: appreciate it man Thank
0: you. i'm just letting you know that how you impacted my life and jared payton studios just from a five minute conversation
1: and yeah, what me
0: to And what you open my eyes to and what my career could be even back in 2011. Man, you have no idea the levels that you push me to. Okay. Just having a relationship with these two guys and knowing what you mean to them as well. Hey, bro, this world and everybody that does this, we owe you a lot
1: nah man y'all look man y'all owe me nothing but you know for what you all mean to me That that's it the fact that you all are doing you finding yourselves and you know that's it you know y- y'all know especially bc and chris you know they know as long as you all make the effort to find yourself that's 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 what means more to me that's why y'all mean so much to me because you all are really 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 continuing to find yourself in this space and, and not selling yourselves out of selling yourself short. So y'all ain't got to thank me. I thank you all, man. I thank you all. Y'all, 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 y'all the ones that give me purpose. All right, what's so up? We appreciate that, that means I, a lot. Because at the end of the day, y'all, you know, you all, as you all get older, we'll figure this out. You all will, there will be time where you'll have to like realize like, damn, am, am I doing this for a reason? You know what I'm saying? Seriously, am I doing this for a reason? And that's when you understand, you know, that what they're doing is for that purpose, that same purpose we talked about Anthony Davis coming to now that he's in the finals. You're doing something for a purpose. And for me, you all of that purpose. See, you all of that purpose. And when you all get to that state, y'all 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 start knowing it now. Look, y'all ain't young anymore. Don't put me out here as no damn guilt. <laughs> all right,
3: that's a fact. Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all ain't
1: young no more. Look, hey, BC, when Chris had a kid, well, I knew it was over. I know, right? Right, right, right. I'm like, having kids now. uh, We all, we old (laughs) now. I had several by the time Chris had his first. So I, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Thank (laughs) you, thank you. So now, real talk, but yeah, y'all, y'all will understand that. You, when you all understand that, you know, you find that what you do is for a purpose greater than yourself. And it sounds corny, but it's real. When you start realizing that, that's when you realize how important. Others are to you, you know the people who give you flowers, the people that tell you what you mean to them. You realize that that's straight up reciprocal. You know it goes right back. You all are just as important to me as you all say I have been to you all. Trust me.
3: I appreciate that, man. I, I always tell people, that. man. I, you know, I ain't I ain't necessarily supposed to be here, but I'm glad I'm here. And you know, all of the all the OG wisdom that you passed down to me. I pass it down to you know to all of the younger cats coming behind me that I know about that say they look up to me, which is weird or whatever. But yeah, you know, is. I take it, you know, I take it in stride and I'm like, hey man, I just try to give them as much, you know, as much game as you know the OGs are giving me, like yourself, you know, Mike Wilbon, all these guys has been doing the way longer than I have. So man, I just appreciate the relationship, appreciate you know, knowing you, my brother, I appreciate oh, yeah. knowing if I call you and you don't answer, you're gonna call me back. So oh, yeah, know, always. that's all I can ask for.
1: Always. Always. Well, I call your ass back because I know that something must be wrong. Nah. <laughs> Sometimes you want to say what's
3: up, man. That's
1: it. <laughs> ah. you, you, know, you know I got to fuck with you, boy. You know I, I, I got to. I know it.
0: <laughs> So as always, man, we ended by saying three dudes that are from the game, who love the game, just talking the game. But today, there's four dudes from the game, that love the game. Just talking about the game. For all of our listeners, man, continue to follow us at A2SPod1. We appreciate you. We bid you adieu until next time. Thanks for joining us. Later. Appreciate you. Yes, sir.